This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a programme called Canny View, and it's our pleasure, as always, to have on the phone Nick Stewart, CEO of the Stewart Group, right here in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Very good, thank you. Very happy within our bubble. Sort of, that's what matters, Nick. As long as you're, you know, you're, you're well, looking after yourself and your family, what more could a man want? Absolutely. And being based here in Hawke's Bay, we, we've, uh, we haven't had too many cases and there's no community um, transmission, so to speak. It's looking pretty good. Yes, and uh, listening to the Prime Minister this morning, she's uh, hoping that uh, with a bit of luck, touching wood as we speak, that we might be able to look at uh, lifting some restrictions uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, no promises there as long as we're all doing our bit. Absolutely, yep. Put it, all putting our shoulder to the wheel, that's what counts. Now, today we're going to talk about, uh, I suppose, COVID-19 and what it's doing to the housing market, uh, the pluses and the negatives. What do you reckon, Nick? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, property is not a lead indicator. It's more of a lag. So what you generally find is that, um, you know, the stock market, as we've spoken about in a couple of recent um, radio shows, the, the stock market and currencies, for that matter, forecast very, very quickly results and they look through those results to see what the outcome will be long term. So, of course, you know, the New Zealand stock market's down since Christmas, whereas if we look at, say, um, the effect on residential housing, it takes a while. In other words, that's why we refer to it as a lag indicator. Yeah. So, you know, typically people have in their mind that their property their property might be worth a million dollars because that was a, a value they had in their head from Christmas or some valuation event that they had in the last year. So etched in their mind is always the million dollars. So you generally find that a lot of homeowners will not accept an offer and sell in the short term at a number that is less than what they have in their mind. But over time, um, you generally find, as we've seen in the past, um, you know, during the uh, tech crash in 2000, uh, as we saw in the Asian crisis in 97, uh, and in 2008 with the global financial crisis, eventually even homeowners need to meet the market, and often that market can be at a price less than what they had in their mind. I suppose it's um, not so bad if you're buying and selling on the same market, but if you're selling on a market which is so much less than what you paid for it in the first place, that's where the problem arises, isn't it? Yeah, it is, <clears throat> although I would add the fact, let's say if you were downsizing, so let's say you were 70 years of age, you've been living in your family home where your children um, have grown up, and you're now looking at downsizing and we're hoping to take a wedge of capital from that asset so that it would be freed up for you to enjoy um, for your lifestyle, then yes, you are buying and selling on the same market, but you were planning to take some capital out. Yeah. And that is where 
that is a conundrum for a number of people at the moment who would be looking at doing exactly that. Are you surprised that the um, the housing market hasn't fallen away dramatically at the moment? I mean, I am because I would have thought that, you know, with all this doom and gloom, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people out of work and there's no jobs and businesses are closed down. Yet it would appear that the housing market is just seems to be trucking along quite nicely. Well, it does, but when but but let's for example, when I'm looking at um, pricing, um, say with stocks and bonds. I need to know, is there a free flow of information and can we readily acquire or um, divest assets? So at the moment, when you look at the residential market, you cannot actually physically go and look at a home and actually, you know, you know, have a walk around mm-hmm. it, um, see what it looks like. Um, so therefore, you'd have to say that during the period of lockdown, um, uh, you don't have that kind of 360 degree vision that you would normally have as a prospective buyer. So therefore I'd say this is a period of, period of abnormality and the same would apply for commercial and industrial property because for the most part you're going to be buying at sight unseen and you'd also not be able to complete your usual due diligence process mm. which may be involving you know, getting a, uh, a builder to come and have a look, you know, doing an inspection. Um, touching base with the council or find out if there are any issues with the property. So, so therefore, I'd say this is not a normal period. And you've also, also the other key part which I'd like to touch on would be uh, job security. So at the moment, you've got a significant number of businesses have applied for the wage subsidy and there was an undertaking in completing that subsidy that you would, as an employer, that you would hold people for a period of 12 weeks at no less than 80% of their wage. So I think that we'd really need to have another discussion at the end of the 12 weeks whereby uh, employers weren't locked into that and where you'd probably see a few firms possibly um, shedding some of their workforce if they haven't already done it and not applied and not applied for the wage subsidy. Is that three months the line in the sand? I mean, if, if we come out of it and... In three months' time, we're back to what we might call semi-normal. Do you think life will go on more or less as we knew it in the housing market? Yeah, I would say no, because at that point in time, we would have um, the job losses would be there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're already seeing uh, evidence of that already with the fairly large ramp up in those um, um, seeking, um, you know, wind support. Um, we're not going to know the true effect of the number of people that are out of work, I understand, until May, whereas if you look at countries such as the United States or Israel, Israel publishes its unemployment data every couple of days. Mm. So Israel came into into this COVID-19 pandemic with an unemployment rate um, at the envy of the um, Middle East or the Levant, at 3.6%, and yet late last week, their unemployment rate hit 23.4%. So when you look at those kind of numbers, one would say that at the end of the 12 weeks, would um, the residential housing market be status quo and back to where it was? I would, uh, If I was a betting man, I would say no, it wouldn't be. It would be entirely different. I mean, you're an expert in your field, and I just wonder, uh, what's the best case scenario going forward three or six months that 
people who are either uh, have a mortgage already or are thinking of buying a house, what's the best case scenario for both of those people? Well, the best case scenario for those selling is that they would um, that they would not sell, and no one wants to be a forced seller mm. in a market where the asset prices are declining. So, I would expect, as we've seen historically in these similar types of uh, negative events, the number of listings shrinks and people just hunker down to get through. Um, those that are forced to sell, unfortunately, have to go into the market and realise the asset at a discount, and that's where there's an opportunity for buyers. However, the number of buyers would be reduced because of the job losses, the um, lack of job sh- surety. So, in other words, if you were um, you know, going to lock yourself into a 25- or a 30-year mortgage um, and you weren't sure if your employment was secure then a lot of a lot of those people would sit back and prefer to rent during that period. Um, it, it'd actually be worth touching on um, the rental market because, uh, you know, a lot of people were renting their properties um, on using Airbnb and that achieved a, um, a favourable price in terms of the weekly or daily rate that one could achieve for the property um, rather than taking a long, you know, putting it out on a long-term tenancy. But what we've seen is the Airbnb market has absolutely been smashed. Um, it was led by the United States where there were some really early indicators that that market had had fallen off a cliff. And we're now seeing it where, you know, you and I can go on to trade me today and you'll see people uh, putting their um, what were formerly Airbnb properties, they're putting them up for long-term rental. Mm. So I think, you know, that's going to have a flow-on effect as well, which is, is good for the rental market, um, not so good for those that were, you know, they're um, topping up their income through their um, Airbnb activities. I read a bit of a horror story on uh, on the web the other night about um, a big mall in, in America. Mm. The, the name escapes me, but... Uh, Let's just say it was Nick Stewart Mall. And uh, some of the tenants are saying, well, we're just not going to pay any rent. And the guy who owned the mall, Nick yeah. Stewart, he was saying, well, hang on a minute. I owe money on this mall, and I've got to pay the guy that I owe the money to. That's going to be a big problem, isn't it? That's, that's sort of real depression news, isn't it? Yes. Well, look, that that has happened here. Um, that happened, um, I, I understand. I was looking at a, an article on the NBR last night where um, a couple of lawyers were uh, having a, a fairly open discussion in terms of um, you know rental abatement, etc., but if you look at the as I understand from from the work that I've done on this, is that it depends on the type of lease that is in place. And for example, the Auckland District Law Society or ADSL lease, which is the most common form of commercial lease in the country um, that everyone typically uses, those that are on addition number five, there is no relief for the tenant. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, lease edition number six, which was created after the Canterbury earthquakes, has a provision in it that um, sees an out for the tenant if they are unable to gain access to the property. So, look, this is we've not seen this before because, of course, that was inserted into lease edition number six post-Canterbury. We haven't had a Canterbury since then, of course. So it's never been formally tested, but there are all sorts of stories you had Harvey Norman, apparently, according to the media, sent out um, notification to all of its um, landlords saying that it would pay not a bean during lockup. Now, 
when that happens, that does have a flow-on effect mm. because, as you say, if you were the landlord and you had a mortgage and you, you know, need to pay rates to uh, whichever uh, municipal authority you um, you reside within, then then that does create a problem and it, it's a flow-on effect to councils as well. Do you think landlords are going to get a bit of a bad rap over this because, you know, uh, when the government came and said, OK, we're going to have a mortgage holiday, you don't have to pay your mortgage for, say, the next three or six months. But there's a bit of a hook in that, of course. But um, people see that landlords are getting a holiday and their interpretation of the holiday is that landlords aren't having to pay anything. But that's not the case, is it? Yeah, correct. That isn't the case. The, I mean, the landlord has to pay insurance or they have to pay their rates. Uh, and look, there you know there are repairs and maintenance um, that just happens. That that needs to go on because you know you need to have a a watertight property, etc. Mm. So so there look there are costs in owning these things, and I think it's going to come down to where there will be a common there will be some common ground between the landlord and the tenant. Mm. I would argue the the answer isn't zero, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, there have been some notable uh, landlords uh, in the community who have given an immediate 50% reduction. I'm talking commercial properties yeah. here, and I've read re- read some cases where where uh, residential landlords have done the same. So they look, they're coming to their tenant and saying, "Look, we understand the pain. We're in this together, and we would like to offer you some relief." And that's that's just that's fabulous that because is good. it means they've got yeah they've gone beyond the contract. They've put the contract to the side and they've said, look, we're in this together. Let's work through this and let, let's get through. And I think that's a really positive approach. But aren't those mortgage holidays going to mean that uh, when you start repaying your mortgage, it's actually going to cost you a bit more, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, yes, that is the flip side of that because, you know, like, like if you were, took out a, a 20-year mortgage and you've got your payments every month, if you suspend those payments, then those payments need to be caught up, you know, at the end or spread over the over the remaining life of the contract. Mm-hmm. But, but Ken, at least you get through and at least you're not forced to um, sell the asset and move from being a, a homeowner to a tenant. Um, For sure. So, look, it, it, it is a question of people um, pulling all of the levers that they can possibly pull to get through, get to the other side, where we will have some form of relative normality and people can reassess, make changes, but the key is to get through because you do not want to be forced to sell into a declining market. That is most unfortunate. And with that, particularly with homeowners, we know that that is incredibly disruptive on the family unit, um, the family unit being the relationship between husband and wife, et cetera, and, and the children and just, yeah, Protecting the family unit and therefore um, alleviating the effects of, um, well, the negative effects of, um, you know, in terms of mental health, I think is really important. And we've, we've seen this in the past where it's been done well and we've seen it where it's been done poorly. And I think the way that the, um, the community is front-footing this is really positive and it shows we have learned from historical experience. Not that you want to be a mercenary about it, but last week we spoke about shares going down 25%, 30%, and that people should have sort of tried to hang in there because they, would have, you know, they weren't crystallising their losses. And uh, you did mention at that time, well, what, would that be a good time to buy or what? Uh, could we apply that same argument to um, bricks and mortar in the very near future? 
Yeah, yeah, it could be, but it, but as I said at the moment, it's very difficult to get the transparency of pricing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, say, if I look at the S and P five hundred, which is the US's largest listed five hundred companies, well, overnight it was up seven percent. So, in other words, you know, when you went to bed and when you woke up, bang, because of course we're on the flip side, twelve hours ahead of them. So, when you woke up this morning, you opened up your screen and bang, up seven percent. So. So in other words, you know, when you and I had that call last week, that would have been a favourable time to have been topping up on equities. Very difficult to say that at the moment with residential property because we just don't have the transactions going through that we can see. And as I said, you've got that possibility of a large number of people being unemployed in the months ahead. And, you know, as we're seeing on the lead indicators on that, that would that would be a fairly safe bet to say that, yes, there will be more people unemployed in a month's time than there are today. We talked a little bit earlier about the best-case scenario. When do you think the worst-case scenario, Nick, with your experience in the financial market, when do you think the worst-case scenario is actually going to hit home for us? I mean, we're, we're sort of at the beginning of it now, but is there a time frame on when it's really going to hit the fan? Well, it depends, if we, it depends on when we can get out of lockdown. And when I mean lockdown, I don't just mean level four. I actually mean getting out of level three. Because, um, for example, if I look at, um, I look at some of the primary healthcare providers, they actually can't operate at level three either. And so when we look at it and we say, um, you know, in other words, like, um, non-essential, um, surgery, um, at level three, they don't happen either. So we actually need to, we need to drop down quite a few, few layers. Mm-hmm. Um, to get back to that, yeah, to, to what we would say is normal. So the question is, you know, that's the million dollar question. When do we get back to say level two? And, and then the other thing is, you know, is this a, a V shaped, um, a V shaped event, a U shaped event, or more an L? Mm. Now, when I say that, so a V shaped is where the, the economy declines steeply and then bounces back aggressively. Or the U-shape is that it drops and then it slowly makes its way back up. And an L-shape is what we don't want to happen is where it drops and then it it just um, meanders along the bottom for a considerable period of time. And that's what the a central bank would have us avoid because that is where you do get people forced into the market and their cash reserves and their ability to get through, unfortunately, become exhausted. Just about out of time, Nick. I just wonder what's the best bit of advice that you can give to someone out there who at this point in time might be a bit worried about their mortgage? Well, the best thing they could do is at this stage, you need the bank on your side and as part of your team. So so anyone that um, hasn't yet spoken to their bank or just made inquiries about some form of relief, it would be important that they do so. And the other thing, doing a line-by-line review of their expenditure and the surety of their income. Because at the end of the day, there are a few levers that people have to play with. And one of them, of course, is your income or joint incomes, as most families have. And the key then is what is their expenditure and what can they turn off or arrest. And one of those is certainly if they have debt and they are repaying principal, that they take a, a holiday. Good on you, Nick. As always, our pleasure to talk with you. You look after yourself. We'll talk to the same time, same place next week. Look forward to it. Thank you.
The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.